Psalm 93. The Lord reigns, he is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and is armed with strength. The world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. Your throne was established long ago, you are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, O Lord, the seas have lifted up their voice, the seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. And Psalm 28, verses 16 to 20. The Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the earth. Let's pray as we seek to understand God's word. Heavenly Father, Lord, the unfolding of your words give light. And so, Lord, we ask that you would enlighten our hearts and our minds and our souls with the truth of your word this morning. Amen. Well, I've lived here in Perth for four and a half years now, but there's still some things I'm getting used to. I'm still getting used to the summers. I'm still getting used to the pronunciations. I still can't say Coogee or Albany without kind of cringing internally. Still not 100% sure what bathers are, although they're very important, I'm told. Uh, and uh, one of the things I'm still really getting used to is how flat Perth is. It's just unbelievably flat, particularly coming from uh, Sydney and actually literally living in the hills. Uh, you know, it's just a strange thing. It's always a surprise to me, those little moments where you get to see Perth from on, on high, you know, perhaps when you are up in the hills, up at Les Murdy Falls or when you're flying into the city, those moments where you get to see all of Perth laid out before you, where you can be surprised by her, her size and her shape. Uh, those moments really do change my understanding of Perth, change my perspective on Perth. Uh, and that's what happens when you get to see something from on high. Uh, the mountaintop experience, they often call it, don't they? Uh, that new perspective, that new understanding that uh, changes the way that you relate to this thing that you can now see before you. Uh, the way that it changes our understanding of our own lives, even where we fit in relationship to things. And it is surprising how many moments in the Bible happen on mountaintops as people have those mountaintop experiences. Uh, Noah landing the ark on top of a mountain. Uh, Moses' multiple meetings with God on Mount Sinai. Elijah at Mount Carmel. And it's true especially for the Lord Jesus. So much of the ministry that the Lord Jesus did happens on mountains. Uh, the temptations in the desert happened on a mountain. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the Transfiguration, uh, the conversation on the Mount of Olives on the night before he was betrayed. And now this, Matthew 28, this last parting word that the Lord Jesus has with his disciples, one last mountaintop experience, 
uh, one last transformation of their perspective and their understanding and indeed of their relationship with this world and indeed what the rest of their lives is going to be. And when we understand this mountaintop experience, we have the same experience. We too are given a a new perspective. Our, Our expectations of our lives, even the very meaning of our lives, the very purpose of our lives is transformed. Because this is the moment when Jesus gives us our mission, our purpose, the only purpose that's worth giving our lives to. Because it's the only purpose that has already won. The only purpose that has already been achieved. This moment here in Matthew 28, it is the very turning point of history, of everything that God has been doing. And everything that's happened since Matthew 28 has just been these words echoing down the corridors of history. And this is the only purpose we should give ourselves to, heart, soul, mind and strength, as individuals, as families, and especially as a church especially as St. Matthew's. So there's three things I want to share with you this morning. Three things from these few short words of Jesus. First of all, the absolute claim of Jesus in verse 18. Secondly, the all-encompassing call of Jesus in verses 19 and 20. And then lastly, those beautiful, reassuring promise of Jesus right there at the end of verse 20. And then I'll finish by drawing a, a few Conclusions, But you can see it all there in the outline that you might have got as you came in, if you're the type of person who likes to take notes. But firstly then, the absolute claim of Jesus. Read those words again in verse 18 with me, would you? Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Don't pass over those words too quickly. This is an astonishing statement. That Jesus makes. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus' claim here is a claim to absolute authority. His authority is unrestricted, unqualified, unconditional, and unending. He has the freedom to reign over all peoples at all times, in all places, and for all eternity. From the smallest people group to the greatest of nations, there is no individual who does not come under his authority. There is no culture or creed nor ethnicity nor group over which he is not sovereign. The Russian invasion of Ukraine, Jesus is Lord. The protests in Iran, Jesus is Lord. The troubles in Alice Springs, Jesus is Lord. The tragic news of the girl taken by a shark just yesterday, Jesus is Lord. There is no corner of the globe, there is no street in our neighbourhood, there is no pub or restaurant or cafe or beach, no suburb, no university, there is no place over which Jesus does not presently and eternally rule. Jesus is Lord of the courtroom. He's Lord of the classroom. The chat room, the boardroom, the bedroom, every room. And so we could go to the observatory, we could grab hold of the the telescope, we could gaze into the skies and billions and billions of years away we could observe a, a star emerging or a planet forming and over that we can know Jesus is Lord. 
Or we could go to the laboratory. We could find ourselves the strongest of microscopes and we could peer at the the smallest of bacteria, the tiniest of molecules, the minutest of subatomic particles and know that over them Jesus rules. There is nowhere in this universe where Jesus Christ is not sovereign, where his universal rule is not real. And whatever our personal circumstances too, whether we are in sickness or in health, for richer, for poorer, whether great joy or or deep depression and anxiety, in singleness, in marriage, in divorce, in widowhood, Jesus is Lord. All authority has been given to him. And whatever our personal belief as well, uh, be we a skeptic or agnostic or an atheist or any other name or any other religion that you might call yourself by, Jesus is Lord. His rule is not dependent upon our belief. It is reality. All authority has been given to Jesus. This is an incredible thing for Jesus to claim. And this claim is a direct challenge to any other claimant. For Jesus to say that all authority has been given to me, it's a challenge to the the pretensions of human emperors and empires. America is not the absolute power that imagines itself to be in the free world. The party is not the absolute power in China as it imagines itself to be. For Jesus to say that all authority has been given to me, it, it challenges our world's philosophies. It challenges the mentality of so many corporate entities who think that business should be run without any reference to Jesus. It challenges the secularism, the the expressive individualism and the materialistic idolatry that governs our age. It it challenges the the idea of the enthroned me that somehow I am the center of the universe and everything revolves around me. I am the master or the mistress of my own universe. No, says Jesus. All authority has been given to me. Now, what an astonishing thing to claim. For a man to say this, well, this is megalomania on a grand scale. If you're ever tempted to believe that somehow uh, Christianity is just like every other religion in our world, that it has no difference to any other religion, just remember that no other religious leader has ever made the claim that Jesus makes right here in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. This is absolutely unique. And if it is true, then there is no way that Christianity can be just one religion amongst many. Christianity must be the only way Because Christ is the only authority. And this claim to all authority makes absolute sense of the rest of Jesus' life. When he walked amongst us, he healed the leper, the paralytic. He healed the woman with bleeding. He healed the blind. He healed the lame. He, He raised the dead. He calmed the storm with a single word. He fed 5,000 people with a little boy's packed lunch. He walked on water. He demonstrated absolute authority over the created order. And the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as one who had authority. 
And here Jesus is in Matthew 28. He's gone to his death. He's paid the price for our sin. He has carried the judgment of God that hung over humanity. And he has risen triumphant. And now he stands before his disciples as the eternal king of God's eternal kingdom with all authority. And that is the absolute claim of Jesus. You and I live in a world where Jesus is Lord. And a claim like that, it demands a response, doesn't it? And they respond, the disciples show us that response in in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him. That is, they surrendered their lives unconditionally to his authority. You are the one who is in charge now, they were saying, not me. You are the king, not me. You rule, not me. From now on, it's not somehow that uh, my will is law and Jesus' will is, is advice. They were saying to the risen Lord Jesus, from now on, your will is law. And my will is at best just advice. All authority has been given to Jesus. And to resist that or to ignore that or to fight against that is utter foolishness. If we're still shaking our fist at Jesus or pushing him to the very edges of our lives or just giving him the cold shoulder, treating him with icy indifference then we are engaged in a futile and a silly resistance because God has already declared Jesus to have all authority. The absolute claim of Jesus. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. But secondly then, Jesus goes on to make a second claim, an all-encompassing claim, an all-encompassing call of Jesus because Jesus makes absolutely clear how we ought to respond to his authority have a look at verse 19 and the beginning of verse 20 Uh, Jesus says this therefore because all authority has been given to me go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you And the absolute claim of verse 18, it demands the all-encompassing response of verse 19, doesn't it? Because if Jesus does have all authority over all people, then all people need to know of Jesus' authority over them. Now, the world often says to us that uh, we have no right to do this. We have no right to to evangelise people, no right to tell them that Jesus has some sort of a claim over their lives. We have no right to expect that people might change their life based on what Jesus says or or change their religion even based on what Jesus says. And the world is correct. We have no right. We have no right to do this. But we don't tell people about Jesus because of our rights. Uh, We tell people about Jesus because of Jesus' rights. But actually, even more importantly, we tell people about Jesus because of their rights, Uh, you know, their right to to know who rules over them. 
Because if Jesus has all authority over all people, then all people need to know of Jesus' authority over them. And it's their right to know this reality. It's an interesting way of thinking about it, isn't it? To be told of the authority of Jesus is actually a fundamental basic human right. Everyone has the right and the need to know who rules them and what is expected of them. And that's exactly what verses 19 and 20 command us to do. Indeed, to not speak of Jesus' absolute authority to those people we encounter, those people we know in our lives, is to actually deny people the very thing that they need to know the most. So you bump into an old friend. All authority has been given to Jesus. Do you know that? Catch up with a, a contact on Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever is your social media of choice. Do you know that Jesus rules your life even now? Head into school on Monday, sit next to a, a classmate. Did you know that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus who rose from the dead? Buy your coffee from the same person each morning. Serve the same customer, sit in the same room with a, a patient or a client, uh, come to church, whatever it is, it is the right and the need of every individual to hear of the rule of King Jesus, his glorious rule in all authority. And by the way, it's actually a command, not to put too fine a point on it. Jesus doesn't actually say, here's an idea, you can take it or leave it. Jesus doesn't say, if you have some spare time, here's something maybe that you might like to, to, to take a crack at. Or would you be able to do this if you feel up to it? No, Jesus doesn't say any of those things. To share the news of Jesus' authority is not a favour to Jesus. No, it, it's a command that he gives us. It's an imperative. The first command coming from the one who has been given all authority. Make disciples. Jesus' disciples, every one of us, are called to make other disciples, to go out and to, to speak of the authority of Jesus and to urge people to recognise that authority just as we have. And this command, it comes with three little explanatory words that help us to understand how this happens, how uh, this disciple-making works. Going, baptising and teaching. In order to make disciples of all nations, Jesus' disciples will have to go. Uh, the declaration of Jesus' authority is a message for the whole globe, uh, for he has authority over the whole globe. And his disciples will have to travel all over the world in order that others might hear it. Going is essential. And sometimes that going is very physical. Uh, going to the new country or going to the new place. Going to the new state where everything's pronounced wrong. Whatever it is. Sometimes the going is very physical. Sometimes the going is just across the room. Just to, to meet that new person or, or going next door to the neighbour that we might speak to them in a way that we never have before. And sometimes the going is a going in a relationship to a place that we've never gone before. Someone we know, someone who's even a friend, but have we ever really sat down with them and, and gone to that place where we talk about Jesus? Where we talk about the big things of life, the universe and, and everything. But as they go... As others become disciples, Jesus says, 
they must also baptize them. Uh, They must mark the fact that they have become followers of Jesus with a sign. A sign that someone has attached themselves to Jesus Christ. After all, that's what baptism is. Baptism is it's an initiation ritual. It's a public statement of one's transfer of allegiance. That no longer does one recognize the authority of themselves or anyone else. In baptism, they recognize the authority, the all authority that Jesus Christ has over them. And once they have bowed the knee to Jesus and acknowledged him as having all authority, they also need to be taught. People need to know not just that Jesus is Lord, and not just that he has all authority over every person in every place, but they also need to know what that authority means. They need to know what Jesus in his authority has commanded. And so the teaching of new disciples... The teaching that so often we do here in church or in our growth groups or in many other occasions, all of that teaching is directed towards obedience. Total obedience to all that Jesus has commanded us. And so when someone does become a Christian in our church, it's not a matter of kind of pushing back from the desk and saying, job done. Discipleship means helping people recognize Jesus' authority and submit to it in every part of their life. Uh, Of making sure that there's not a a hidden corner of our world that we're keeping from Jesus, but helping us to open up our whole lives, every part of it, to that all-encompassing authority of Jesus Christ. In the hope that one day God will raise us all up to maturity, A maturity in Jesus that lasts a lifetime. Disciples who can endure the test of time and all the different seasons of life. Deeply rooted disciples who take their place alongside other disciples in the work of disciple making. That's our goal. That's our mission. And according to Jesus, going and baptizing and teaching is how we get there. But lastly then, There's also a wonderful, reassuring promise from Jesus. The passage ends beautifully, doesn't it? It couldn't end any other way. In fact, this is the end of all of Matthew's gospel. These wonderful words. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's a a beautiful poetry to this passage, actually. All authority to all nations, teaching all I have commanded... And surely I am with you always. Jesus knows it's not a small thing that he is commanding of those who would follow him. Jesus has a deep awareness of the hardship, the persecution, and the suffering that comes from proclaiming his authority. After all, he did die for saying exactly those things. And so what he commands here, by our own strength, by our own power, it it would be impossible. This is a global mission to all people, for all people who are under his lordship, that we could never achieve on our own. And so that is where that wonderful, reassuring promise of Jesus comes to us like a cool breeze on a hot summer's day. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The comfort 
of knowing that Jesus is with us always. We are not alone. Anytime, in any place, with anyone, Jesus is with us. The one who has all authority is with us. He's on our side. He's in our corner. And to feel just how supportive of us in mission Jesus is, it's worth remembering that before this became our mission, it was and it continues to always be the mission of God. This is not a a new mission somehow that Jesus is explaining to us now. It's an old mission. It's the mission that God had and that God had planned before the creation of the world's. The whole Bible is the story of this mission. From beginning to end, it's the story of of the plan of God, the work of God, the determination of God to bless the people that he has made, despite their sin and their rejection of him. A story that began with God creating, creating humans made in his image, who he, he longs to bless with the intimacy of his friendship. And yet when we rejected him, when we rejected his authority and sought to rule ourselves our own way, that sin, that rejection of God, it soiled and it stained us and our world in so many ways that we see every single day. But from that point on, the story of the Bible becomes a story of rescue and of restoration and how through Jesus, the promise of eternal blessing is extended to all those who trust him and love him and live for him. In other words, all who will acknowledge his rule and his authority. And yet one of the most marvellous things about this plan of God's is that in his mercy and in his grace, he actually chooses to use us, his people, to accomplish his work and to achieve his purposes. What a privilege it is. We have a place in God's plans. A significant place. An important place. A place where we can make a real contribution through the strength that comes to us through Jesus Christ and the spirit he gives. It's now our privilege to be glad participants in his mission. Working alongside the Lord Jesus who is with us. And who will not let this mission fail. And that is the reassuring promise of Jesus. So what does this mean for our lives? What conclusions can we draw from this great mountaintop, this last mountaintop experience that Jesus gave to his disciples and to us? It certainly means that Jesus is somehow not a a sideline religious figure who exists to make our lives better. He is the very purpose of this age that we are in. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. And he gives us the very purpose for which we exist in this age. The purpose of declaring that Jesus is Lord. And this is one of those things that it's just... It's so big that it commands our attention. It it commands our our whole lives. I mean, let me just kind of illustrate that for for you for a moment. I mean, imagine it's it's Boxing Day, 2004, and you're on holidays in Phuket in Thailand. 
You've got this great plan and purpose for your, your time there to, to rest and to relax and to, to recharge, to sit on the beach while they bring you those little drinks, to enjoy it. But then a tsunami comes, as it did on Boxing Day in 2004, and there is massive devastation. It's still the, the deadliest tsunami in human history. Now, what happens to your plans when something like that happens? You could continue to try and go on with your, your holiday plans in the midst of such devastation. You could try and continue to enjoy your, your day at the beach. You could continue to expect that people will bring you the little drinks as you, you sit out there and enjoy things. You could still continue to expect to be the centre of attention. You could do that, couldn't you? But not if you had any heart. Not if you had any compassion. And you see, if you had any care at all, you'd, you'd completely change all of your plans. You'd, you'd completely reorientate all of your life. It's because it's so massive what has happened. You would do all that you can to, to bring help and to bring healing and to bring housing. Uh, you would change everything and you wouldn't regret it for a moment. And the world that we live in is like the world of Phuket Beach, Boxing Day 2004. A tsunami of sin and death and rebellion has crashed upon the human race. And we can't continue to imagine that that's not what has happened. The scale of this is so big that it, it commands all of our attention. It, it changes all of our plans and our purposes. It shatters them and then it rebuilds them. The command comes to us in the context of the desperate need of all humanity to be rescued. We are under death. We are under sin. And God has established Jesus to be the saviour and the Lord of all by his death and his resurrection. And Jesus now gives us this command. Rescue them. Save them from sin. Save them from death. Make disciples. It's just too big to ignore. And it's too important to ignore either. There are lots of purposes in life that you can give yourself to. Lots of good purposes in life that we can give ourselves to. Lots of good causes in our world. And I'm glad that there are people who are concerned about them. But if I've understood what Jesus is saying in Matthew 28 correctly, none of them can hold a candle to what Jesus is teaching us here. None of them are anything compared to the importance of making disciples. When the Lord Jesus returns... He will fix all the problems that we face in this world that people devote their lives to. He will fix every problem we face as easily as you or I snap our fingers. Because after all, all authority has been given to him. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain or sickness or suffering or death. But this passage reminds us that not only does the Lord Jesus deserve to be honoured by all, one day he will be honoured by all. One day every knee will bow, one day every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But for some, the acknowledgement of that authority will come tragically too late. 
having not acknowledged him in their lifetime, they will be forced to acknowledge him on the final day of judgment. And they will be required to spend all eternity contemplating their failure to acknowledge Jesus' authority of their own accord. And that reality, that terrible, terrible reality, is a powerful motivation for us to play our part in the mission that Jesus gives us. Our mission that Jesus, that people might turn to Jesus in love and in gratitude before it's too late. And this is not just a a matter of life and death. This is a matter of eternity. This is a matter of heaven and hell. So it's far too important for us to ignore. And it's far too good for us to ignore either. Making disciples is actually bringing people to see the very reason why God made them. To give them a purpose in life that is the very best purpose in life to have. The purpose of this mission is to bring life and and life eternal. The forgiveness of sins, the chance to call God Father. The the Jesus who who saves us, who asks us to be part of this mission, uh, puts into our mouths words to speak the wonderful message of love and mercy and joy and forgiveness. That is the gospel. Something that we are bursting to tell people about. And how sweet was that news when we first understood it? And how sweet it can be to others too when they first understand it. You see, Jesus wants all of us to be captured by this big, by this important, and by this good purpose. Jesus wants the passion of every one of our hearts to be that the making of disciples. He wants it for all of us, and he especially he wants it for us as a church. And that's why it's our mission here as a church. Our mission here at St. Matthew's is making disciples together, living out everything that Matthew 28 teaches us to do, given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's not a unique mission. It's the mission of many churches. They might use different words, but it's the mission of lots of churches, as it should be. It should shape the thing that every church, every Christian person does. And where it does not shape our life together, well, you can be sure that I'm working on it, or you need to tell me so I can work on it. And I believe that St. Matthew's is a great place to make disciples alongside our brothers and sisters here. At 9 o'clock, at 11 o'clock, at Uni Church, in our new afternoon church, in our growth groups, when we run our Christianity Explored times, when we run our, our midweek ministries, there's all sorts of opportunities to work alongside each other as partners in the gospel. And there is no better cause, no better task, no better purpose to give ourselves to and the making of disciples together as a church, this year and every year. And so I say to you, as Jesus says to us all, go and make disciples.
and surely he will be with us to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your grand and great purposes to rescue our world and to bring bring people back from death to life. We thank you that you paid such a price yourself that you have given your only son to die for us that we might be saved and then raised him up and established him the Lord of heaven and earth with all authority. We pray that understanding all of this, we might see how grand and great and how all-consuming this purpose you have for us truly is. We pray that we might be captured by it as well, so that we might become people who give ourselves from the heart to the making of disciples. We know that this is your mission. And so we know that at any moment, the damn walls could break and you, our God, could flood our church with people longing to become disciples of Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that you might use us, your humble servants, that you might astonish us in this day with your power and your grace and your love. Lord, we ask that through us you would make many lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ, our Lord. But we also pray that you wouldn't do it, not for our glory, not for our glory even as a church, Lord. We pray that you would do it for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one to whom you have given all authority. Amen.